now to the final category that I have, which is baseball. Now, baseball is, you know, there, there, there's a, a decent amount of baseball movies, just because for whatever reason, it tends to lend itself to to the cinema. Um, we're going to go through, and I, I have, I'm, I'm going to group the first uh, batch of them as the Kevin Costner trilogy. Okay. And we'll talk about them together. We have Bull Durham, which came out in 88. Then there was Field of Dreams in 89. And then in 99, there was For Love of the Game. Mm-hmm. Kind of similar. I mean, Kevin Costner doesn't stray super far. I mean, obviously in Bull Durham, he is a minor league baseball player. Uh, Crash Davis. He is the kind of the the epitome of what that that career minor leaguer would be like. You know, the guy who's very good, good enough to stick around for 10, 15 plus years, but not good enough to make the show, at least not for very long, because we find out that Crash did make it for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then he has to mentor the the hot young phenom Nuke Lelouch as as he's an up and comer Epi Calvin and that's very typical of what happens in the minors. So those career minor leaguers stick around because they are good at grooming the guys that eventually became the major leaguers. Well, we happen to be related to one of those glue minor league baseball players. Our cousin was in the minor leagues for about ten years, right? And you know he was he was a guy who. Went from you know you go from being a prospect to somebody who is, he's he's there to get guys ready to right. to make it to the next level, and, and he was told that. And, and so it's our cousin Rob, yeah. and and he played as Scott said um, many years in the in the Blue Jays organization, and he I guess at one point after he'd been there long enough, you know he's you know he's getting around thirty or so, and it's like hey he'd like to have the opportunity to make the majors, and he asked for his release, and I, I think the story goes that they said you're too valuable to us. Yeah, you know we like if we have a a shortstop prospect coming up that you'll play second base next to him, and you you know feed him the ball properly, and if we have a second base prospect, you can flip over and play shortstop, and. We can play you all these different positions. We can play you a catcher, and you can work with these guys. And that's kind of what Crash was dealing with. Yeah. And and Bull Durham, again, written by Ron Shelton, who had a minor league baseball background, where I think just the whole locker room dialogue and the way that players interacted with each other and the way that the coaches talked to the team, that was a little bit more uh, for comedic effect. But I think the the portrayal of Crash Davis by Kevin Costner was so spot on and they did a, a really good job of making the other players on the team so wide-eyed and kind of innocent. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of the grizzled veteran. And so they, they kind of, they look up to everything that comes out of his mouth and he, you know, he, he instantly becomes 
the leader of the team because he's by far and away the oldest guy on the team. Right. And, you know, and he's always teaching lessons, you know, just like when he intentionally gets Nuke angry and gets him to punch him at the bar. He goes, which hand did you hit me with? And, you know, basically, hey, if you're if you're right-handed pitcher, you better hit him with your left hand. Yeah. And, you know, those are like little lessons that he was imparting all throughout the way. Like when, when Nuke shook him off when he has like a, a no-hitter going or, or a shutout going, and he's like, oh, you shake me off? Okay. And he tells the batter what the next pitch is. He goes, when you speak of me, speak kindly. It would be Charlie. And he's like, and he crushes the ball, and, and Nuke's like, you told him what was coming. Yes, I did. Now, listen to me yeah. for the next pitch. Yep. And, and of course, you know, the love interest in the, in the movie is played by Susan Sarandon, who uh, plays the part of Annie Savoy, a part-time college professor who teaches English. And she kind of becomes the, the the love interest of Nuke in for Crash, mm-hmm. uh, but it's it's a kind of a coming of age movie for from the uh, Nuke Lelouch standpoint because he's a guy who's probably for the first time in his life being out on his own, and he's got this amazing talent, but he's got so much growing up to do. Right, and it's up to Annie and Crash to teach him how to become a become ready to play in the major leagues, which he does at the end of the movie. So we transition from Bull Durham, very famous movie, to another extremely famous movie, and that's Field of Dreams, where this time Kevin Costner is a farmer in the middle of Iowa, and he hears voices that tell him to build a field. Ray Kinsella uh, the, uh, is, is the character, and he is, he is a guy who grew up um, did not have a good relationship with his dad. His dad was much older when he had him, so they just never connected. The one thing that they had a slight connection on was baseball. And um, Ray knew that his dad at one point was a professional or semi-professional baseball player and that his favorite baseball player of all time was Shoeless Joe Jackson. Mm-hmm. But his dad passed away you know, quite a few years before and Ray is now married to Annie, and had they have a little girl, and he lives out in Iowa. It's part of you know, basically he moved out to be close close to Annie's family because their, their brother appears in the Timothy Busfield plays uh, the brother in the movie to uh, to Annie. And you're right, he all of a sudden starts hearing voices, and it drives him crazy. And he but he starts listening to these voices, and he's trying to come up with his figure out what, what these voices are trying to tell him to do and is having him do these pretty outrageous things. And he builds the field because if you build it, they will come, is the the line, the voice that he hears. And sure enough, old-time ballplayers start coming out of the field and start playing baseball. These ghosts. These ghosts come out and start playing on the field. And, and one of the ghosts is Shoeless Joe Jackson. Who was the first one to appear. He comes out. And it's it's a pretty remarkable, really good scene. Ray Liotta comes out, and you know he's he's just kind of standing out there uh, because the the daughter tells Ray, "Daddy, there's somebody out in the field." So they can see him, but other people can't. And so he goes out there, and they have this whole little kind of this little workout. He pitches to him so he can hit. He's hitting him fly balls. And he's just able to start running around because, you know, he's been dead for how many years. And now all of a sudden he's got his young body back and he's able to run around. So he's, he, he asks if more can come out because there's, as he said, there's, there's more of us, right? Can, can, can I bring some more guys out? And he's like, yeah, this, this is your place. I built this for you. 
And so that is pretty, it's a pretty cool scene to, to, uh, you know, just that wide eyed looking of, of shoeless Joe as he's out there on the field. Like you know, he has no idea. They keep asking him, is this heaven? Cause they, they don't, they're not entirely sure where they're at. Right. No, it's Iowa as, as he says, but it's, it's, it's a different type of movie. Yes, it's a it's about baseball. It's about sports, but I, I don't know. It's about finding kind of like a a a, a joy, a, a a pleasure. It's 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 taking things down to a very you know basic nature and, and trying to find you know happiness at that level. It's it's just a different type of movie that I remember when it came out. I wasn't sure about because mm-hmm. it was just so different, and it's 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 become a classic. I think. Yeah, and for you know James Earl Jones is in right. is in yeah. the movie, and for a lot of the central characters who are alive in in the movie, particularly Ray, and and for um, you know James James's character, where they are, they're they're kind of struggling with their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, where James Earl Jones plays a guy by the name of Terrence Mann, who was a very big deal. He's a protester, an author, and he just got so swallowed up by life that he walked away from it. And he, he walked away with a lot of bitterness. And when Ray goes out to meet him in Boston, uh, you know, he's not ready to receive visitors. But I think at the end of at the end of the day, between uh, Terry and between Ray, it's to be happy with what you have in front of you. Because remember, Ray's mad at the very end because they invite Terry to go into the field. And and Costner gets very upset. And he's like, Why can't I go? And they're like, We didn't we didn't ask you, we didn't invite you, we invited him. And but uh, you know, James Earl Jones gives this very famous speech about about baseball and I think it's about people coming to terms and, and kind of being grateful for what they have. And I think he for Terry, when he walks into the field, he walks in with a lot more peace about where he's at in his life than what he was when he first started the journey with Ray in the movie Field of Dreams. But I, I and for for Costner for Ray Kinsella, you know, he became more appreciative of what he's at with his you know with his wife and his daughter, and and now he turns out he gets to relive some a moment with his father mm-hmm. who ends up being on the field as well. Right. Very good movie, super creative movie. And then the final of the Kevin Costner baseball movies would be For Love of the Game. And it is the story of an older pitcher who basically has one last shot at at perfection. Billy Chappell. And he is, you know, for most of his career, he's one of the best pitchers of the game. And, you know, but he's nearing the end. He's, he's closing it out, and but this is one of the great things about sports. There's sometimes you can just reach back, and for a moment, you have your old glory again. And for this, and the the game, he's so he ends up pitching a no hitter, but the game kind of serves as a backdrop for them talking about his life. Mm-hmm. And it's as the innings go by, there's all these flashbacks to to his life and and all the things he's dealt with, and the. The game kind of gives him this, I don't know, this this clarity at the end when it's it's all over. A piece about him. It seems like that's a theme here that we mm-hmm. have with baseball and peace. It's but he is able to 
come and appreciate this glory that he has for this one moment. Well, his love interest is played by Kelly Preston. And for the first time in Billy Chappell's life in the last couple of years, it doesn't really specify how many years they were together, but they were together probably, what, three or four seasons. And for most of the time, he's, you know, he's a future Hall of Fame pitcher. He's, just, he's, he's one of the best of mm-hmm. his generation. Um, but yet he's still pretty self-centered as an individual. You know, he's coming into this relationship, but he's never really kind of given himself fully to another person. Right. It's always been, you know, relationships, but it was never a commitment. And for him, he was finally feeling like he was starting to commit. And then he had the mishap where he injures himself, where he cuts his hand and has to have tendon surgery. Mm-hmm. So he's the first year back from that, and he's he in his mind, he's got to com- give complete concentration and focus to get himself back onto the mound, and it ends up hurting his relationship with his girlfriend. So she ends up deciding to leave, and when he starts pitching this game, it's of the impression that she's moving to Paris to take another job, and they're they're breaking up. So he's he's not only coming to grips with the end of his career, uh, you know the owner of the of the Detroit Tigers who he plays for is selling the team, and then if he decides to continue playing, they're going to trade him, and he's going to have to finish out his career with somebody else, or he could retire as a Tiger. Right. So he's he's coming to grips with basically, uh, you know, we we talked about it earlier in this episode. The athlete who commits himself so much towards being an athlete, uh, it's sometimes that transition into life after sports can be really tough. Right. Uh, he's at that crossroad right now where he he doesn't want to lose his, his love, his girlfriend, but and yet also probably his first love, which is baseball, is coming to an end as well. Right. Good movie. Uh, it, it, it's it's not an all timer like Field of Dreams and Bull Durham. I think those are all time movies, uh, but it's a good movie. It's it's worth watching. It's it's got some it's got some good actors in it. Like I said, Kelly Preston's in it. John C. Riley plays his catcher. John C. Uh, Riley, <laughs> love that guy. Um, and it, it's just uh, yeah, it is. I think it's one of those movies that the second, third, fourth time you, you watch it, it gets better. You know. Uh, I think because the first time you watch it, you watch it with the expectation of here's a guy who's done Bull Durham. Here's a guy who's done Field of Dreams. Here's a guy who's done Tin Cup. And it's another sports movie. And is it as good as those? No, but it's still a good movie. Right. And let me tell you about John C. Riley. If Ricky Bobby's legend, the legend Ricky Bobby, Talladega Nights, had been in the 90s, it would be on this list. Absolutely, yeah. But unfortunately, and I was so Come disappointed. On, shake and <laughs> That's, yeah. Shaking um, big cow. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Uh, we mentioned it earlier. Uh, th- there was there was a trilogy. May have been more, but there was at least three of these movies that uh, I really only saw the first one. Uh, that would be the Bad News Bears. Um, I did. I, I take that back. I did see. I think the second one, which w- w- the first, so the original Bad News Bears of the Walter Matthau movie comes out in 1976. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's one of the best ones. That's the Tatum O'Neill movie. It's that's the classic. Yeah, that's one when you think of it. Now I did see the the one that came out a year later, uh, Breaking Training, which I think I saw on television. I think that's the one where they get to play the game in the Astrodome. Was that the next one, or was or was the next one the Japan one? Maybe. Uh, well, no, no. They go to Japan in the. Th- 
third one, okay. I think. And that, so they did it 76, 77, and 78. So they were banging these Bad News Bears movies out. Well, at one point, <clears throat> Walter Matthau stepped away. Well, he was not in the second one. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he only did the first one as Morris. Uh, Morris Buttermaker. Buttermaker. Yeah, good movie. I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, it, it's, it's almost like they, they kind of ripped, ripped the premise of this movie off when they did The Mighty Ducks. Yeah. In a bit of a way, you know, because you have this, you know, guy with... Well, I shouldn't take that back. I take that back because Millie Estevez is not a down and outer. Where Buttermaker says down and out guy cleaning pools. He's a loser. He's a loser, and he's drinking all the time. And yeah. He's smoking all the time. But he's a, he's a former major league. He actually well, he he had enough of a baseball career that he played like thirty days in the major league. So mm-hmm. he was a good uh, baseball pitcher at one point. He he knew the game. He did, and so he comes back and and he takes the the worst team in the league and. Gets him into the championship game. You know, he goes out and he recruits some players. Kelly, uh, uh, you know, gets him there, shows up on his Harley Davidson motorcycle, and they, uh, which comes back to um, be an issue later because, you know, Kelly is such a dominant ball player that he wants Kelly to do everything. <laughs> and he wants Kelly to catch everything in the outfield. And the, and the other guys are supposed to get hit by pitches just so their runner's on base so Kelly can knock them in. Well, remember every time Kelly would step in front of one of the other outfielders and catch the ball, he'd say, "Sorry, yeah, sorry, <laughs> right, right," because that's that's what Buttermaker told me how to do. But you know, kind of a you know a, a very charming movie. And Amanda is you know was the daughter of a former girlfriend of his. Oh, that's and that's, that's right. and that's how he found her. And Tatum O'Neill plays Amanda. And remember, he teaches her how to throw spitballs. Mm. So they're doctoring the ball and cheating. <laughs> right, right. Um, and, and, the other, and the other charm of the movie, uh, it, besides the players, is the fact that, do you remember who sponsored their uniforms in the back? Bail Bonds or something? Jocko's Bail Bonds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, yeah. right. Yeah. Well, I liked that there was the one scene where Buttermaker walks into the dugout, and these are little leaguers. These are little kids. And so and he, the, the rule came out that they all had to wear cups. And so the, the couple, there, there was like with two or three Hispanic kids on the team that mm-hmm. didn't speak English. And then they, the translator said, oh, they said it's against their religion. And, <laughs> and so then everyone said it's against, and Amanda said, well, I'm not wearing one of these. And then they all said it's against their religion, so they threw them at Buttermaker. That's right. And one of the, I think one of the truly uh, great characters in the movie was Tanner, the yeah. little blonde-haired kid that, mm-hmm. that had the hair-trigger temper. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and wasn't everything cuss or something? or Crud, butter crud. And it, it was, that was his career story. Was crud. What was what was the name of the 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 little kid that everybody picked? Like on? lupus, loop, yeah, lupus or something. Yeah, like that. and uh, so Tanner actually stands up for him one time. And when they're eating like their French fries, yeah, and, and they and they both get, I think they both got shoved into a trash can or something. Yeah, like that. and then he 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 told, I think it was lupus, and he was like, yeah, you got to stand up for yourself. And then he looks at him, he's got like this like snot coming out of his nose, and he like you know has compassion for him at that point, and it it's. You see where, uh, at the end of the movie, where Buttermaker really gets caught up in the winning, and he desperately wants to win, and then there's, there's this, it, you, you contrast that to the Yankees, the other team, where the coach was all about the winning, and he put all this pressure on his son, and the son basically cracked, and basically, and, and walked off the field at one point, after he, like, held on to the ball, I think Engelbert might have, the the, the fat kid that was the catcher might have hit the ball back to him, and he wouldn't give it up, and they just let him run around the bases and score. Well, they started, yeah, he started, like, lobbing the ball yeah. in and letting, letting he's the like Bears throw, hit the ball. He's, like, throwing it up in the air, yeah. Yeah, so. And, you know, and so at, at the end, it's like, you know, 
what's what is it about is it about winning or is it about you know as we were always taught when we played sports it's not whether you win or lose it's how you play the game you the idea is you play your best and it's a life lesson that hey life you know you're going to lose at times in life but you have to you know have a have a good attitude about it you have to be a good sport Although the only time our baseball coaches would take us to the freeze and frizz was after a win. <laughs> that is 100% true. Just remember that. So. That is, so, and, and that's Gen Xers. You know this is true. Our, our era was so different as far as what goes on today where I remember like, like the next generation getting treats brought to every game. And I was like appalled at that because our coaches literally would, would bribe us with, with like, hey, if, if you... If you win, we're going to buy you a slushie. And they, I remember one time we were, it was like the, the fourth inning, and they said, all right, we're losing. If you pull this one out, we're going to get you a large slushie if we win. And we're like, oh, well, we just, you know, that psyched us up. And, kick us into gear, man. Yeah, right. So it, we were from a different era where you only got trophies if you won. You only got treats if you won. <laughs> they you know, it was winners and losers. Yeah, that's true. That's that's just how it was. Yep. So well, moving on to the next kid movie that I have was from 1993. And that would be The Sandlot. Did you see The Sandlot? Many times. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of, actually, it's one of those Gen X movies that uh, went on to the next generation. My kids love that movie. Sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, that is probably true with a lot of the, especially the 90s movies. I think, you know, there was kids, like your kids, would, you know, would have been born at the end of the 90s. So they were old enough where, you know, you would have had like the VHS cassette tape around where they would have seen it, you know, where they were old enough, you know, that, that they started seeing some of these kids type of movies. And this is, you know, another coming of age movie where it shows that sports can bring kind of the geeky, nerdy kid who's new to town and he can come in and he can, if he's willing to learn to play some baseball and he can uh, find a group of friends. Well, it is, and you know he was struggling to um, make friends because they, like you said, they were new to the neighborhood. But he was just good enough. Remember, um, his what ended up being his his buddy ended up doing him a favor because remember he he, he couldn't catch the ball, he couldn't right. throw the ball. So um, Rodriguez ends up saying, "Okay, hold your glove out." Mm-hmm. And he literally stay, goes back to home plate and hits the ball into the glove. Right. So then the other kids are like, oh, he's okay. <laughs> right. So then he, he becomes accepted because he's just good enough that he's able to be a, a viable player on this team because they were short nine players. Mm-hmm. So they needed they needed to uh, round out their team, and he was the final the final piece of the puzzle. Right, right. So that's a sandlot. Uh, not, certainly not, not a deep movie. It's, it certainly doesn't have like the uh, – all the different layers like Field of Dreams, but it's certainly an enjoyable movie, especially for kids. Next one from 1992. This is a movie that my brother and I saw together in the theater, and that'd be Tom Selleck in Mr. Baseball. Mr. Baseball, yeah, absolutely. Uh, good movie. I, I, I really enjoyed that, and I thought Tom Selleck really, for a guy who I think he was probably in his late 40s when he played this character, um, was very convincing as somebody who was in, on the movie screen about 10 you're supposed to be about 10 years younger mm-hmm. guy who's coming to the end of his career and you know he plays for the Yankees and the Yankees have given up on him they've you know he's his his play is in decline he 
He hasn't had he didn't have a good season the year before, even though, as he points out, he led the league in two out doubles after the seventh inning. <laughs> right. Which it goes to the line that in sports you can make up a statistic to, you know, say just about anything. Right, right. So he ends up going to Japan and ends up playing for this Japanese team and kind of has to learn how to be a baseball player all over again. And he has to learn to assimilate to the culture. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's coming over as a very cocky, arrogant American baseball player that's used to being pampered, that's, that's not used to having to give in to other people. And he has to learn that uh, with his teammates, um, you know, with, with, especially with the manager, who's very old school about being Japanese, you know, he's his, his eventual love interest, uh, you know, his Japanese, she t- kind of teaches him a lot about the, the Japanese culture. And the movie is this, is this progression where you see he gradually changes Mm -hmm. and he kind of has to be broken down. He hits rock bottom and then he's built back up again and kind of accepts where he's at. He, he totally embraces the culture and really starts to thrive at the end of the movie. He does. And he is more accepting of his future as a post major league baseball player, because at the very, very end, even though it shows him in spring training and he's crushing the ball out of the yard, it turns out he's a coach, correct, and not a player, right? And he seems happy with that, right? Right, because throughout much of the movie, he desperately is trying to get back to the major leagues, and he keeps thinking that you know the scouts are going to come over and see him, and he's going to get one more chance, and that's all he cares about. Mm-hmm. But you're right; then he accepts uh, that that his career is over, and then he transitions to the next stage of his career. Right. Which, let's face it, all coaches in the major leagues probably had to go through that at some point. Yeah. All right, so that is Mr. Baseball. Uh, in 1988, there was a pretty well-known film called Eight Men Out, starring John Cusack and Charlie Sheen and D.B. Sweeney talking about the Black Sox scandal. Yeah, and that was a movie that uh, there was a lot of a lot of hype, I think, going into that movie with because it had such a powerhouse uh, cast. And it was a story that is hovered around Major League Baseball. It's part of its lore. Right. Is that 1919 uh, Black Sox game. Did the, did the White Sox and Shoeless Joe Jackson really throw the World Series? And that is still, that's been debated for the last 100 plus years. Men and have gone to the grave saying they never threw the games. But uh, by the decision of one individual, and that was Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis, who was the former... Uh, circuit judge who was appointed as commissioner of baseball and held that position for many decades. Um, he was the ultimate person that said, no, these, these individuals will never, never be allowed back into baseball. And for one player in particular, uh, shoeless Joe Jackson has cost him the hall of fame because he otherwise would have been a, uh, an first ballot, whatever you want to say, he would have been an automatic hall of famer arguably the best player in the game when he played. I mean, you know, he was around Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, and, but, you know, he was arguably the best player and had a fabulous World Series. And as the, um, I think the movie cleaned him up a little bit as, as different from what he was in real life because I don't think they wanted to portray somebody that was that uneducated. Right. Um, because... Shoeless Joe Jackson, uh, you know, if anybody has is in the memorabilia field or or knows about a baseball signed by Shoeless Joe Jackson, there's a good chance he didn't actually sign it because he didn't know how to write. Right. 
Uh, in many cases, it was his wife that signed just about everything in his name because he was that illiterate that he, uh, the only thing he knew how to do was play baseball. And, and hit. even after he got kicked out of baseball, he would go around and play in these little semi-pro towns or the, these little leagues under different assumed names because that's all he knew how to do mm-hmm. was play baseball. And at one point, Ty Cobb, who transitioned from ball player to business person much better than Shoeless Joe, uh, the story goes, he goes walks into this liquor store and working behind the counter is Joe Jackson. And Joe doesn't say anything to Ty Cobb. And at one point, Cobb, because they, they knew each other as players. At one point, Cobb says to Joe Jackson, don't you remember me, Joe? And Joe's like, yeah, I remember you. I just didn't know if you wanted to remember me. Right, right. I think that was in Ken Burns' documentary. Yeah. yeah. No, that's super sad. Very sad. Um, but um, on a happier note, and I've, I only have three left, so we'll get to the end of my list here. So uh, a year later, a slapstick of all slapstick movies comes out, and that would be Major League. Yeah, this and, and that was an all-timer. Yeah. It, it, it was a great uh, kind of a um spoils you know for the, for that time period you had you had three really really good baseball movies with within a couple of years of each other you had bull durham eight men out and then major league all just like right on top of and field other. of dreams in the same year and field of dreams comes so, right, comes right after so that too. four in in basically two years yeah and and they're all really well done um but major major league was where where bull durham was witty and and very funny uh major league was just over the top slapstick i mean right. what a, what a fun movie to sit like i said two hours of of harmless fun and laughs well and, you, had, you know tom berenger you know it's kind of like the the old school catcher you know you always had to have some broken down old veteran catcher out there you had willie mays hayes wesley snipes who was you know super funny um uh as as the guy who you know was swinging for the fences yet he should have been bunning and um uh was was wilford brimley in that or, or who was the the manager that i'm, I'm trying to remember I his name i can't remember his name but he he's been in a lot of things um charlie sheen of course is the wild thing charlie sheen corbin bernson he's roger dorn um and then you know it just it has every character that you, you know, defector from cuba whose religion is voodoo uh, you know, at one point he needs more power. That'd be Pedro Serrano. Uh, Serrano, and they were just a. It was a well casted group of. Players. Oh, it was it was James Gammon as Lou Brown, who was the Lou manager. Brown. Yeah, who worked at Tire World. <laughs> right, right. And when he was offered the job as manager of the Indians, he put him on hold because he had a another guy on the other line looking for a set of white walls. And then, of course, Bob Euchre is Harry Doyle. And Harry Doyle really kind of. Moves the movie along, I think. Bob Euchre does such a great job. And the famous line where, where this incredibly wild pitch just a bit outside. Went for the corner. And <laughs> uh, um, Pete Vukovic, former Major League mm-hmm. Cy Young winner with the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, plays the part of Cool Haywood, who's the first baseman for the New York Yankees. He was actually a consultant on the movie uh, you know, to help these actors look to be professional athletes. And he actually got one of the kind of the neater parts in the movie, uh, and 
Cole Haywood, you know, what a great villain. Why the Triple Crown that year? But certainly not not what you would say one of the a movie that's going to win an Academy Award, but still something that was super funny. It was lighthearted. You know, obviously, you know, every time you have these type of movies where you have someone, they're going to go from last place to the championship. Well, and I think, you know, for the city of Cleveland, it it's kind of the... Cleveland is like the perfect backdrop for a movie like this because Cleveland was going through a really tough time. There were a lot of, a lot of Midwestern cities that were really struggling at that particular time. Detroit also. Uh, but you know the the title of this song and this is why I picked it it's called Burn On and if you if you remember back in the Gen X era the uh, the river outside of Cleveland very famously caught on fire because yes. there's so much garbage in it right and so this song is called Burn On it's uh, written by Randy Newman but I think Cleveland is is a perfect uh, you know venue for this worst-to-first kind of redemptive story that these guys end up going through because nobody wants them. Not only do they are they picked to finish last, but nobody seems to want them to win, even the city, until the very end, and they kind of get hot at the end, and, and then all of a sudden they, they get their full support from, from everybody. But it's kind of like the fans are, are coming together, but um, it's pretty, you know, there is a little bit of a story there. You know, Behringer coming to the end of his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, trying to get back with his wife, played by Rene Russo, and so it's, you know, there's there's more to it than just the baseball, but the baseball's so much fun. And it shows, as you said, you know, where a city will rally around a team, and it it, it is amazing how that happens when you you get a team that's hot. That it it just there's so much goodwill that just spreads throughout the community, and that's what is part of Major League. Okay, so uh, my second to last one is a movie that we've talked about on another podcast, and that would be the very good movie, A League of Their Own. Mm-hmm. came out in 1992. And that's the Gina Davis, Tom Hanks, Lori Petty, Madonna, Rosie O'Donnell movie. Yeah, and it was directed by Penny Marshall, mm-hmm. who at the time was arguably one of the best directors of that time period and some of the stuff that she came out with. She also directed Big, um, but... A League of Their Own was a timeless, just such a well-done movie. And I think it, it did a great job of telling a story to people that weren't familiar with that type of baseball that happened back in the day. And that was you know, the, the All-American uh, Women's Baseball League that was going on during the war, during World War II. Right. It was a real thing. And the, the story of Dottie and Kit, and, you know, obviously that's fictitious, but the just the whole general backdrop of the league itself was was a very real thing, and they even showed it at the very end of the movie with actual players in that reunion where Dottie goes back as an older person. And as we we talked about in that other episode, you know, the Tom Hanks character is loosely based on Jimmy Fox, you know, who is who is the great uh, you know Hall of Fame baseball player who. You know, had some hard times at the end of his life. You know, didn't uh, you know uh, messed around with a bottle way too much, and uh, as that's what the the Tom Hanks character kind of portrays as well. And I think he did have a stint coaching in this league. He did, yeah. So, you know, it's it's just such a good movie. It, it's you know one of those movies that when it's on, 
if I stumble upon it, I always watch it to the end. And I think we talked about it in our episode on Tom Hanks, which if you want to go back and, and kind of revisit some of the, some of the Tom Hanks uh, chronology of movies, uh, he, that it was said about Gina Davis and as Dottie Henson, who even though Gina Davis wasn't, she didn't have a baseball background. They said she was such a good act, actor, actress, that she would study the mannerisms of ballplayers and she was very convincing as a ball player. Oh, I totally bought that she was athletic. Yeah, and that she uh, she looked every bit the part. And uh, I thought Penny Marshall did a uh, did a phenomenal job of portraying the time that being during World War II and just some of the things that were going on. And I I think she threw enough I think pop culture into that movie where it was almost like kind of like a small history lesson in a way, you know, surfaced with this women's baseball team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good movie. And like I said, we've talked about it before, so no need to rehash that again. But a movie that I don't know that we have talked about is my final movie. And that would be Robert Redford's classic, The Natural. Oh, as if on cue. I knew you were going to this. <laughs> That's why I saved it for the end. <laughs> we saw this in the movie theater in 1984. We did. We saw it when we were at the beach. Yes, we did. I uh, still love that part. You know, it, it, it's funny how when sometimes... I don't know if you're the same way, but I know for myself that I still find myself with so many of these movies that we talked about tonight. I get so invested in the very end, where it's all you still get moved at mm-hmm. the end of the movie, and this one is maybe one ranks right up there with Rudy, as far as like you kind of get choked up at the very end because uh, you know the stories around Roy Hobbs, who basically was this up and coming phenom who had everything taken away from right. him. Right, he could not have been more the opposite of Rudy, which is interesting that that's what you kind of compare him to because as the title of the movie says he's the natural if there ever was anyone that had the perfect athletic ability to be a baseball player it's Roy Hobbs yeah he had this and even his dad says to him when he's a small child your son you have a gift and that gift is baseball and that he always kept that with him so from the time that he he's had nothing but success and he's going on the way to a tryout to basically become a Major League Baseball player. And he's on a train, and there's a Babe Ruth-type character, and his name in the movie is the Whammer. And he's traveling with the sports writer, and they're bragging up about how this this is the best baseball player on the planet right now. And there's this old, crusty, you know, half-alcoholic scout that, that Roy's riding with on the train, and... and so they start teasing Roy, uh, the whammer, and, and this other reporter. And this the scout takes offense to it, and he starts jawing back with him. And they're like, ah, you don't know what you're talking about, old man. You know, go sit down or, or go, go get another drink. And so they make this very famous bet. I'll bet you $10 that my boy here can strike your guy out on three straight pitches. And he does it. So there's, you know, he's he's famous 
to a certain degree, because this is the 1930s, so mm-hmm. it's not like there's an internet. And he's about to become the biggest thing. And they meet this woman on the on this train, and it turns out she's crazy, and she ends up shooting him. And he his his whole future is taken from him. And until he resurfaces, I think it's 17 years later, at the age of 37. You know, he just shows up out of nowhere, and he's signed to this contract, and they are the the team, the New York Knights, is having a hard time believing that he is, you know, what they say he is. This old guy, way, or you know, when when most people are retiring, he's a rookie, and the manager, played by Wilfred Brimley, right. won't play him in the beginning. He's he thinks because he's having issues with the owner, the judge. Because the judge is trying to, they're both partners in this baseball team, and the judge is trying to steal the other half of the ownership away from Pops. He thinks that maybe Hobbs might be part of this conspiracy. And it turns out, no, it's not. And Roy Hobbs, yes, is as good as advertised. And he ends up leaving, leading this team from dead last place to contending now for a title. And as as uh, Wilfred Brimley says at one point in the movie, he goes, "You're the best ball player I've ever seen in my life." And but even then, as he's having this this great, you know, resurgence to his career, he starts to have these health issues and kind of stem back from when he was shot by the Kim Basinger character all those many years ago. He's well, that was Barbara Hershey. That was oh the, okay, the, yeah, Kim Basinger right. was. Was um, oh, Bar- that's right. Was Pops's niece that was terrible luck. <laughs> that's right. It was the it was, it was the other character. She that, was dating Bump. Gotcha. Bump yeah, Bailey. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for correcting me on that. But yeah, and then he he at at the end of the movie, you know, he's got like blood on the uniform, and he's of course he has that his famous bat, which is Wonder Boy. That's right. Um, and there's there's a lot of there's a lot of to be taken away from it. It's not just a sports movie. Uh, you know, it's a guy who's coming to grips. You know, he's basically run from his past for the last 17 years. Whenever, whenever he's asked, where are you from Hobbs? Oh, here and there. Like he, he never, he can never give a straight answer because he doesn't want people to find out that he got shot by this crazy woman who then ended up jumping out of a window and killing herself. Um, you know, he thought that you know people would start blaming him or saying that he had something to do with it, and so he keeps running from it. And then at some point, he has to, he comes face to face with the reporter who has the information in front of him, and he's like, "You're gonna ha- you're gonna have to run it if you want to, because they were trying to keep him from playing in this game, so that uh, pops could get ownership of the team back completely, and that the judge would be out." So. Uh, he ends up siding with Pops and ends up playing in the game. And even even though he struggles in the beginning because he's not 100% healthy, at the very end of the ball game, you know, he breaks Wonder Boy mm-hmm. and ends up having to go to the Savoy Special. Which was, which was Savoy was the name of the, the Bat Boy. Bobby, yeah. Yeah, Bobby Bob. Savoy. So he ends up using that, that bat. and He's like, find me a good one. <laughs> he brings back the Savoy Special. That's right. Uh, ends up he ends up winning the game winning home run and he knocks the cover off the ball or I guess well did he do it that time that was the that was his first major that, league this his first bat. major league bat knocked the yeah. cover off the ball that's the one where he hit like the light tower yeah at the end and it broke all the yeah lights. right yeah um but I mean it's 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 just 
It's a great movie for, especially I think when I saw it, I was 13. I mean, you're talking about somebody who's really going into that age of just falling in love with baseball. And we're always big. We're always a big baseball family. Uh, followed the Phillies for our, our entire lives. And for, for myself, that was at the time when, uh, you know, you and I both subscribe. You had Sports Illustrated. Mm-hmm. I had the Sporting News. And they used to publish all the stats, all the team stats. And I just used to memorize all that stuff. I mean, I was I was more into baseball than I was in a school. I'll admit that. Oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, but it was just one of those ma- the, one of those movies that came out as a thirteen year old. If if you wanted to keep playing baseball and to, you know, could I be Roy Hobbs someday? <laughs> you know, it's like uh, you know, in, in terms of imagery, it doesn't get any better. And, you know, and I, I think it's true with a lot of sports, but baseball in particular. There's something about you know, because it, it's a sport that deals with scouting players. There's something about trying to find the one, almost like the chosen one, the, the one that's the perfect, the one that's the next great player. That And that's kind of what this movie was about. You remember when uh, Sports Illustrated did that fictitious Sid Finch character? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, and that's kind of what that was, where there was this this fictitious, they made it up as if it was real, and people thought it was real, but there was this fictitious guy that, that was playing with the Mets and coming through the system that was just discovered out in the middle of nowhere that just had this incredible fastball. Okay. And that's kind of the lore of what baseball would have. It's, oh, if we could just, there's this person that's the natural. They just have this this 100-mile-an-hour fastball, and they just... They, they, they can hit the ball 450 feet every time. And that's that was Roy Hobbs. He was he was the best pitcher. He was the best hitter. Yeah, and the one scene where they're just kind of – the team's playing really well and they're leisurely going about their practice. You know, guys are shagging flies, taking BP. And remember, Roy comes in from right field and there's a ball laying there at the pitcher's mound and the guy at the plate says, hey, come on, Roy, pitch it in here. You know, like – like for him to try and throw it past him. And he just kind of stands there for that moment, just that brief moment where he's like, I don't know if I should be doing this. And then he finally decides, yeah, and he throws a pitch and it it turns out to be thrown so hard that it almost goes completely through the uh, batting cage netting. So it just showed how much, how gifted he was at whatever he did. That was baseball. And if you, uh, don't like baseball you could watch the movie for the romantic interest with glenn close because there is a whole little subplot that goes on between the two of them yeah and uh you know her character ended up moving to chicago mm-hmm. and she uh turns out that before he left to go for his tryout that they got together and she ended up getting pregnant mm-hmm. and um having a child and she didn't you know she was struggling moving on with her life as well because she never got married Right. Uh, you know, she ended up leaving the family farm, even though she still owned it. She couldn't find, couldn't bring herself to live there. Uh, so she ended up moving to Chicago and with, to try and raise her son. And so she was, she was having her own struggles as well. Right. You know, it was uh, trying to, to carry on with life. But, you know, it does have a happy ending where they all end up getting together. And the final scene is them back at the family farm and they're having, uh, having a catch. And, sure. And he's no longer at risk of dying because they said about, you know, his stomach tearing apart and he could die on one swing. Right. And he ends up winning the game, but, um, you know, he's they're out there in the field playing baseball. Yep. All-time great movie. Okay, any more movies on your list? And then we can wrap this up. I think you pretty much got all of them. There were just those few that I wanted to 
that I wanted to talk about. There was one. There was one baseball movie that is a total kids movie, and it's called Rookie of the Year. Oh yeah, uh, it had Daniel Stern in it. He played a real goofball pitching coach. It is a complete kids movie, but mm-hmm. it's fun. It, you know, you, children would would find that movie very funny. Um, what was what was the kid's name? But he ended up being an American Pie later on, okay. uh, uh, as a, as an older teenager. But he he plays this plays this kid from Chicago, and he's not a very good baseball player. But he ends up breaking his arm, and so he had to have his arm mounted uh, in a forty five degree angle above his shoulder for it to heal. When they took this the cast off, the ligaments got so tight. That now every time he would throw a baseball, he could throw it like 95 miles an hour. What was the name of this movie? Rookie of the Year. Okay. And it's a, um, they end up at, at the very end of the, at the of the movie to win the division. They have to beat the Mets. So the Mets were the team to beat in this movie. And the guy who is at the plate is their big home run hitter. And he's kind of your over the top, kind of reminded me of Ogre from Revenge of the Nerds kind of guy where he's you know he's he's like like a professional wrestler in a baseball uniform but uh i you know it, it, it's a fun movie to check out is it's called rookie of the year and like i said um it's got daniel stern in it it's got it's got a few other actors in it that you would recognize from from being in and around movies and television but a uh, good movie to check out just just for the uh just for like I said, two hours of harmless fun. Oh, well, you know, speaking of two hours of harmless fun, I think we've been pretty thorough with our list here. I know this, you know, this is a fairly long episode, but, you know, I, th- I think we did a good job of kind of getting the, the, the top ones out there. I think, you know, you did surprise me and you, you got me with uh, Youngblood. I'm so glad that was brought up. I don't know how I missed that, but, uh, you know. Well, you got me a few times. Yeah. Definitely. I thought it'd be kind of of note to mention some of the movies that we didn't talk about, and I, I intentionally didn't say these because I've never seen the movies. But right. I know there are many people that these are cult classics or very critically well received, but one that that we didn't talk about is the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie Pumping Iron. Okay. With uh, with Schwarzenegger and Lou Ferrigno, it's about their quest to become Mr. Olympia, and that mm-hmm. movie was made back in 1977. Never saw it, although you know many people talk about it. Uh, 1994, When We Were Kings, was the um, the movie that was about Muhammad Ali. I did see that one. Did you? I, I thought about it, but that's more of a documentary. Yes. So that's why I didn't put it on the list. No, that, that is a good movie. So uh, Hoop Dreams was a movie that is uh, that chronicled uh, you know some young basketball players. Again, it's more of a documentary. Didn't but, see it, but it was uh, it was out there in movie theaters. Robert De Niro played a Yankee catcher and banged the drum slowly. That came out in 1973, which, uh, again, I've never seen, but, again, it was very critically uh, well-received. Uh, Warren Beatty won an Academy Award as a as an NFL quarterback in the movie Heaven Can Wait. Yeah, I didn't see it. I only saw bits and pieces of it, and I was not a big Warren Beatty fan, so maybe that was... Part of the reason why I didn't continue to watch it, but uh, it's it's listed as one of the better sports movies of all time. I have never seen it uh, from beginning to end. There was a movie with Mariel Hemingway called Personal Best, where she played an Olympic athlete that gets into a relationship with another female athlete that was uh, well-received. I saw that one. Did you? Yeah, that was, that was a prison movie. 
Um, Denzel Washington was in a movie called He Got Game, which is about a uh, you know young basketball player and his family. And the last one is Daniel Day-Lewis in The Boxer. That came out in 1998. That one, I think he won an Academy Award for that one, but he plays an Irish boxer in that movie. But I, I can't tell you anything more than that because I never saw it. So I'll, I'll add one that I, I did see, but I, I don't think I saw it from start to finish. I've seen it on TV a few times, and that would be Bingo Long's Traveling All-Stars and Motor Kings. Did you ever see any of that no. one? That is... Um, that has James Earl Jones in it. I think it has Billy D. Williams in it. Oh wait, is that where he Richard plays Pryor's like Jack in it? Johnson? Uh, it's it's where it's where Richard Pryor is like the it's like Bingo Long, and and so they they're they're like a rival touring baseball team during the Negro oh, Leagues. Okay, and okay. It, it's like right it's right at the end of the Negro League era where they're starting to to integrate. Okay, and that's like at the end of the movie, the one pitcher. Uh, he's not really a big actor. He like gets offered a deal like at the end of the movie. Well, you mentioned Richard Pryor. Shame on us for not talking about the movie Brewster's Millions. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's a very eighties movie. And John Candy's in that John one Candy's too. In he, that. He's yeah. his, his, you know Brewster's the pitcher and John Candy's the catcher, yeah. and he's spending all that money. And John Candy goes gets this big catcher's Cat- mitt. It was made for Johnny Bench. <laughs> it was made for Johnny Bench. He never picked it up. Can you believe it? <laughs> yeah. Brewster's Millions. Yeah. yeah. There you go. That was very eighties. Um, so anyway, uh, we are, I think we're out of time, but I think we covered a lot of good yeah. movies tonight. Right. I really, uh, that was fun. I, I enjoyed kind of reminiscing, especially some of the movies that you talked about. Like you brought up some movies in the seventies that I didn't even thought about like Kurt Russell as a, as a kid weightlifter. That's, it, that's great. You know, I, as soon as you said it, I remember <laughs> be, because that as little kids, I remember us running to our cereal boxes. Oh yeah. Because we were trying to pretend to be be like Kurt Russell, and then, you know, later on he's in 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 one of our f- favorite movies. Even though it's you know not going to make anybody's top list, but uh, the best of times is just mm. it's a movie that you and I love just so much. Yeah, uh, yeah. So even though you know we covered we covered movies big and small, I think we gave everybody a pretty good snapshot of what the Gen X era was for sports movies. And I think going forward, like I said. The, the era of the next decade, that being the 2000s, there was so much success that was created by Gen X sports movies, which really hadn't been done much previously. Correct. And I think that kind of uh, started a whole new kind of business in Hollywood as far as making the great sports movies. And you started to see more and more of them come out after that. Right, because when you rattled off maybe the, the all-time greats, I mean, so, oh yeah, so you're part of the Yankees. Yeah, sure, but there weren't many other ones besides that. Yeah. And, and so through the Gen X era, it's something that kind of get kickstarted and has continued on. So yeah, no, I'm glad we did this. Yeah. Um, definitely a good episode. So that was episode number 38. And unfortunately I haven't decided yet on episode number 39. So it's a mystery. We're going to tune in. It's going to be uh, we're going to be a little bit of a surprise next time. And for episode number 39, and we want to thank our listeners for making us, uh, we're up to number seven now. We are at number seven. One Feedspot's top uh, 40 podcast in the Gen X era. So thanks everybody for listening. Please tell a friend. Uh, we I do have this playlist available on Spotify under the title of Sports Movies. 
But we covered a lot of movies tonight. Probably what, almost 40, 45 oh, movies tonight. Over, yeah. Over 40. So hopefully, uh, hopefully, we brought some names up that you might want to go back and revisit and uh, check them out again. Yeah. So, um, and as always, we say, you know, please uh, subscribe, give us a thumbs up, give us a good, a good ranking. You know, we got some momentum going here, folks. So let's keep it going. And we also want to say, wish everybody, as we're now into the holiday season, so if you have a little bit of downtime, maybe you have a couple of days off during making uh, Christmas cookies or something like that during this this time, what better way to make the time go by while the cookies are in the oven than sitting back and watching the Gen X Playback Show or uh, tell a friend that they can do the same thing. Yeah, and, uh, you know... Uh, Thank you. Please come back, and uh, we'll, we'll find out what Scott's mystery episode is next week. Hopefully, he lets me know before the actual episode happens. I, I definitely will. Okay. So, uh, once again, we, we thank you guys for listening to the Gen X Playback Show. We are the Brothers High. I'm Scott. I'm Sean. We'll talk to you then. See ya.